Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Central this morning where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my prayer this morning is that you would experience Jesus here today, offering to us the gift of forgiveness and life and freedom and peace. This Advent, we've been remembering the gifts that God has given to us in Christ. And today we remember the gift of supremacy, that Jesus rules and reigns over all things as King. And here's what I hope we can grasp together this morning. If we know that Jesus is supreme, that he is in command over all things, then we can live in peace. If Jesus is in charge and I'm not, if some other person is not, not a politician, not another person, not someone who's seeking to harm me, none of them are in charge, but Jesus is. If Jesus is in command, then I can rest peacefully. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us lay hold of that gift in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes as we behold Jesus in this text in Colossians 1. Help us to live faithfully for you as a people of peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the good news of great joy. Glory to God in the highest. I read a story about a medieval king who struggled to live with a sense of peace. Maybe we can identify with that too. So he commissioned some artists to paint scenes of peace in his bedchamber to try and calm him when he was going to rest at night. And one artist painted a scene of a lake with children gently playing. There was another that painted a, a seashore with gulls above and no waves, just a fisherman calmly resting in his boat. A third artist produced a scene of a torrential storm. There was wind and rain and trees that were bent over to the breaking point, and the king thought that this artist was toying with him, demanded an explanation. Why did you paint such an unsettling scene? And the artist painted a picture. It said, look over in the corner. You see that rock face, and there's a cleft. There's a little crack in the rock face. What do you see inside there? There's a little bird, a little bird, a mother clutching her young. And the artist said to the king, King, do you know that kind of peace of that little bird? Indeed, do we know a peace that offers itself as a haven when life is swirling, when life is storming all about us? Do we know a peace that offers a moment of calm when our lives are filled with danger and threats? We want it, but do we know it? That kind of peace in the storms of life only come from knowing Jesus intimately as the one who rules and reigns as supreme Lord 
and sufficient Savior. That's what we're going to study this morning in this text. Jesus is supreme Lord and sufficient Savior. And since he is, we can live with peace. First, we have peace because Jesus is supreme Lord. Seems there were some false teachers that had worked their way into the church in Colossae, and they believed that in Christ, God offers us forgiveness. He wipes away uh, and cleanses us from all of our guilt, but in order to bake the power of corruption of sin, in order to bring renewal in our lives, renewal in this world, you need something more than Jesus. To victoriously bring renewal takes something more than what Jesus is able to give. In the real world, I need something more, they said, something like the angels or the the authorities or the powers or the thrones or dominions that Paul mentions in his text. Their teaching would have sounded something like, Jesus is a good helper, but it feels like he's just not quite enough for me. Ever think that way? Ever feel, Lord, I'm glad that you're God in all. I'm glad that you're good, but I need something a little bit more to make me feel alive right now. Paul says that we really need is to know that our king, our Jesus, is a powerful supreme God who came down to us. That's what he says in verse 15, that he is the image of the invisible God. That's exactly what we celebrate at Christmas. That this this incarnation, God took on flesh. The invisible God took on flesh and is now visible. He's made manifest among us as people. We don't have to wonder what God is like. We don't have to wonder what he wants or what his will might be or what he desires or what he thinks about sinful people like us. We see him in Jesus in the flesh. What's more, verse 19, in this Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is better than what they celebrated in the Old Testament. It's better than God's presence in the tabernacle. It was better than God's presence in the temple even. In Jesus, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. All of his power, his lordship, his ability to rule is in Christ, the one who took on flesh For us, those dominions and thrones and powers hold not a candle to his authority. We see the fullness of God in Jesus. That same Jesus who took on flesh as a helpless little baby is now the supreme Lord over all creation. He calls him, verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. Now, some folks might read that and get a little bit nervous. Does this mean that Jesus was the first person ever created? Because if that's true, then he's not God. If God is the creator, if Jesus was the first one ever created, then he couldn't be divine. That's what some in our world say. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons believe. That's what our secular world proclaims, that Jesus is a good teacher. He's a good man. He may even be a prophet, but he's not God in the flesh. But that's not what Paul says here. In verse 16, he says, all creation was created through him and for him. So everything that has a beginning has its beginning in him. Wherever we look, whatever we discover about this world, it all owes its existence to Jesus. Calling him the firstborn does not mean that he was born first, but rather this was a common expression in the ancient Near East. It means he's the heir. 
Jesus has the honor, the, the status, the standing of his heavenly father. He's using this common expression to help us understand that Jesus, this one who took on flesh, is equal with God the Father in heaven. He has the same honor and glory and power and strength and wealth and wisdom and the same authority. Jesus is supreme Lord over all creation. He created it and he inherits it. And verse 17 says, he holds it all together. There's nothing lacking in Jesus' glory, nor in his power to bring about his purposes or his plans or his goals, because this Jesus is preeminent. He is supreme Lord. So how does that give us peace? Well, sometimes we may be tempted to think, Jesus, you're great, (laughs) but I'm not sure that you can handle my life. You're great and you're powerful, but... um, I know you're God in the flesh, but my life is really complex. I have this disastrous health. My business is in a really hard place. I I, I had hoped to be able to have a better grip on sin in my life by now. Lord, I'm really disappointed that you don't seem to have the ability to take care of my life. I'm not sure you've got this, Jesus. You ever think that? Have you ever thought of him in that way? The Apostle Paul would say, when we're tempted to believe that Jesus isn't really able to handle our lives, he says, remember, remember, if he's sufficient to create and sustain the entire cosmos, if everything in it has its beginning and its continuing owed to Jesus, if he's sufficient to run the whole universe, don't you think he can handle your life too? That's Paul's point. That truth brings us peace. If he can sustain the whole universe, then he can sustain me in my trial. He can come alongside me in my difficulty, in my illness, in my complexity, in the downturn in my life. Jesus is sufficient for that because he's the Supreme Lord. So much of our stress in life comes from trying to take responsibility or control over an outcome that's impossible for us to be able to do. So we worry. We worry ourselves to the bone to try to make sure a certain outcome happens when we don't have the power or the authority to do it. All we do is stress about it. We worry about it. We become manipulators. We try to pull strings of life together to make sure that someone does what we know that they should do. We might even live as if verse 17 really says, in me all things hold together. It's not true. Sometimes we may be tempted to play junior Holy Spirit and making sure that this person goes the right way or this conviction comes into the life of our kids or our friends or our neighbors. Yet all the while, all we're doing is filling up our hearts with anxiety and anything but peace. But Paul wants us to know we can have peace because there is no hand-wringing in heaven. There's no lack of strength or or goodness. There's no wondering if things are really going to work out. The truth is Jesus is supreme Lord over all creation. And he looks at people like us who are needy and he offers us his power and his goodness. He blesses the downtrodden and the trapped and the hopeless and the overwhelmed because in him all things really do hold together. Even our worst enemy of death 
could not hold him. He is the firstborn from the dead, Paul says here. He reigns with a life out of death kind of power. Do you know that power in your life? Remember that little bird in the painting? Peace comes when we remember we are the little bird. We are safely protected in the cleft of the rock, the rock who is Jesus. He shields us from the wildness of this world that would crush us without him. We rest because Jesus is in control over all things. There is no circumstance that he is unable to overcome in your life. There is no future for a child of God that is taken out of his nail-scarred hands. He holds your life in his hands that way. He rules and he reigns. This Jesus who took on flesh as a child was crucified for you and for me and he's ascended into heaven where he rules over everything, even the noise and the chaos of life. In our church in Virginia, uh, Missy and I led a group uh, of people, about 50 some odd people, to Israel. We toured all around Israel and walked where Jesus walked and we, it was a really fast tour and so we said we ran where Jesus walked in that tour. <laughs> One of the days took us to the Chapel of the Ascension. It's the spot on the Mount of Olives where it's believed that Jesus ascended. There's a rock there on the top, and and they built, Byzantines built a church around that rock. It's just a little small place and just just, uh, large enough for people to get inside and, and see the rock. There's a mosque right next door. In fact, that same spot had been taken over by Muslims in different different periods of Jerusalem's history. And now when you go inside to see this rock of the ascension, um, you can hear the Muslim call to prayer on the speaker right at the top of the building. We went in that one day, and I began reading the scripture passage of Jesus' ascension into heaven. As I got to the spot about him ascending to heaven, the call to prayer began to ring out really loudly over the loudspeaker. And I had to shout, shout the words that Jesus reigns as king. Jesus has ascended over everything because of all the noise and the chaos that was going on in that little round stone building. All the noise, it was threatening to drown out the truth that Jesus is king. But we as God's people began to say together, Jesus is king. Jesus rules, Jesus reigns, even in the noise of your life, the chaos of life, in the storms of life, in the swirling torrent of whatever is going on right now. Remember, Jesus reigns. Jesus has ascended. He is the king of heaven, and he's promised to return and make everything new. So friends, we live with peace because the same Jesus we saw bring healing to the sick The same Jesus who offered life to his dead friend Lazarus. The same Jesus who offers forgiveness and sacrifice for sinners like us. That same Jesus rules and reigns over everything right now. Peace, because Jesus is supreme. Paul also tells us that we have peace because he is a sufficient savior. Maybe you're feeling this morning that, okay, great, Jesus is supremely powerful, wonderful. But I don't have any certainty that he's willing to use all that power for somebody like me. 
If he were to look in my heart and see all the stuff that's hidden in there, the the sin that's harbored in my heart, surely that kind of supreme holy God would turn away from somebody like me. But it's not true. Look at verse 20. Why did he come and take on flesh to be born in that little town of Bethlehem? Reconciliation. He was born, verse 20, so that through him the reconciliation of all things would happen. And we need reconciliation because we are alienated from God. We're estranged from him because of all of our sin. And the word to reconcile means to reestablish a a, a proper and friendly relationship when there's been some provocation involved. Our provocation is our sin. Our sin brought evil and disaster into this world. It's evil and disaster in our own lives too. And yet Paul says... That Jesus, that fullness of God, has reconciled this broken world and, and broken sinful people to God. This Jesus has taken away the barrier that stands between God and you and me in our sin. How? Again in verse 20, he reconciles through his blood of the cross. Now think carefully with me how Paul says this. How does reconciliation usually happen in our lives right now? Most of the time, the one who's caused the offense goes to the one whom they've offended and they apologize. I'm sorry, they they try to make it right. But that's not what Paul says here. What Paul says here is we commit the sin, but God is the one who has come to us. We are the ones who've offended God, and yet God has come to us, initiating a move toward reconciliation with us. And you have to know that's completely backward from every other religion on the planet. Every other religion of man somehow says that humans work their way to God somehow. That we've gone on a search for God and we found him or we we achieve relationship with God by submission or something we do or something that we pursue. Or we have oneness with God by denying ourselves something. It's the religions of the world, but that's not what the Bible says. Christianity is alone in proclaiming the truth that God came to us. God entered our world making promises to sinners, making a covenant, bond in blood, to take a people as his very own. He entered into this world taking on flesh and lived a perfectly righteous life that you and I never could. And then he gave himself for us by making peace by his blood on the cross. The sin is ours. The offense was ours, but God is the one who came toward us to restore us and reconcile us to himself. If you wonder, can I really be forgiven for what I've done in this life? Can God really cleanse me from all the things that I've done? Think about it this way. God is the one who was offended by your sin. And God is the one who named the price, condemnation and judgment and death for our sin. But God is also the one who paid the price. Is Jesus' blood sufficient? His blood is sufficient if God named the price and that same God paid the price with his own blood. Of course, of course his blood is sufficient for people like you and me in our sin. Because we can experience peace, the feelings, a, a subjective peace with God because objectively that peace has been won. Jesus won it. He made peace by paying the necessary price for all of our sin in his blood on the cross. In Christ, 
through trusting in his name and, and relying on his work and not how we've lived our lives, in relying on Christ, we are reconciled to God, the one who is returning to make all things new. Peace for you was God's initiative. It was God's accomplishment in Christ on the cross and in his triumphant resurrection. His cleansing is enough for you because it was his work from start to finish. We only contribute one thing. We contribute a need. We contribute a need and Jesus met it on the cross. You want to feel peace? Remember how that tree peace was forever and truly won, not because you really aren't all that bad. The truth is we're wicked to the core. We don't have peace with God because we've felt badly enough about it, and, but that's not possible either. It's not possible for us to appreciate God's holy hatred of our sin that has destroyed his beautiful creation. We don't have peace either because we tell God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it up to you. I'm going to live my life and have more good than bad in my life. That's not possible because not only do we commit sin, our, our, our very hearts, our very lives are trapped in sin. We have a sinful nature. We can't do more good than bad and hope to make it up with God. The only reason that we have been given peace is because Jesus was born for you. He took on our flesh and then he gave his life through the blood of the cross to bring us peace and freedom and forgiveness. Friends, we have peace. If you trust God, if you rely on what Christ has done for you, then the hostilities between you and God have ended. The war is over. Jesus has prevailed, and the renewal of the world has begun. Even our renewal has begun. He's made us his, his beloved people. He's placed us in the church, his new humanity. And he will return one day to right every wrong and bring everything to renewal in him. Believe in him. And he will send you out as an agent of his reconciliation too, to your friends, to your family, to your coworkers. We have peace because in Christ the war is over. But you and I so often live as if we have this uneasy armistice with God, like the one that stopped the Korean War. You remember that the Korean War is not officially over. Conflict stopped in 1953 with an armistice, with a ceasefire, but the two Koreas are not at peace. We see it on the news, we see hostilities flare up, we see North Korea launching off missiles because the tension of warfare is always there. They have to be on guard against one another. And that's how we often view our relationship with God. We just have an armistice. But rather, God's hostility, his anger, and his outright warfare toward me might flare up at any moment. He's unpredictable. Who knows what God might do? I have to be on guard against him. But it's not true. The Bible says Jesus is our sufficient Savior. He is God, become fully man in that manger on Christmas, and he was born to die to bring reconciliation to the world. We have peace with God, rest in God. As my friend Scott Sauls wrote, whose answer to our sin is not condemnation, but grace. His answer to our shame is not rejection, but tenderness. 
His answer to our repeated failures is not last straw cancellation, but a never-ending embrace. His answer to our slowness to listen is not a disgusted retreat, but a pursuing kindness. His answer to the grossest thing about us is not to shout us down and shut us out, but to quiet us with his love. That's the God that we have. He is supremely in charge. He is Lord over all, and he is a sufficient Savior for sinners like you and me. So peace, rest like that little bird, safe under the wing of God, safe in the cleft of the rock who is Christ, who has come for you and is coming again to make all things new. Let's pray. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to know that there is peace with God because of what you have done for us, Lord Jesus. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know that peace with you, may today be the day of their salvation. Open their eyes and their hearts to trust in you, rely on you in all that you have done to bring us reconciliation. To trust that we are forgiven by the blood of the cross. To trust that we are secure because of the triumphant resurrection and ascension, and you rule and reign over all right now. Help us, Lord, and give us peace. There are people whose lives are filled with chaos and difficulty in this room, watching online this morning. Lord, King of peace, ruler of all, would you step into the lives of people who who are in distress and bring them peace because you rule and reign. We trust you, and we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.